0: Father, we just thank you, we just thank you, we just thank you, Lord, we just thank you, Father, we just thank you. Coming close to the end of this month, we just thank you, we just thank you, we just thank you. This morning, once again, Lord, we come under the blood, the precious blood of your Son. By faith, we apply the blood of Jesus over all of us, all our homes, all your people, everywhere, Lord, around the world. Join to us by faith, by spirit. The blood, the blood, the blood protect us, Lord. Many are the works of the enemy, Lord, day in and day out to destroy your people. But, Lord, we stay under the blood. That's our victory, Father. I pray, Lord, you empower us today each one that we may do what you have called us to do lord the appointed works of the father help us lord speak to us teach us as we go through the seven churches speak to us lord so that we are prepared for that day when we stand before you and give you an account lord of our works we just thank you we praise you lord in jesus name we pray Amen, amen, amen. We are coming to the end of the three chapters, especially the final church will start today. So we'll just quickly review. In Revelation 1, we know Apostle Paul is in exile. He's in an island called Patamos, and he has a vision on the Lord's Day of the resurrected, glorified Jesus We see Jesus, how he is dressed in heaven, he is moving among seven golden lamps, which are the churches, and in his hand he holds seven stars, which are the pastors. Seven being the number of perfection, we see Jesus is daily, active, ministering in the churches all over the world, all time, also inspecting and telling what is wrong and what is right. So it's important, even today, he does the same thing. So in 7, Revelation 2 and 3, he compares, uh, or rather he writes seven letters, little letters to each of the seven churches which are in modern-day Turkey. But if you look at how each of these letters end, it's a letter, letters written to all the churches All time, because he says, All those who have an ear, let them hear what he is saying to the churches, because he's a God who speaks now. Hebrews 3 and verse 7 and 8 says it this way Hebrews 3 7 and 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. That's what we call Rema. You okay, that even when you read the word of God and things that were written centuries back because God is living, he still speaks. And when he speaks, God says, don't harden your hearts. So we come to the final church, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 onwards. We'll read The seventh church. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because... You say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is where it begins. Okay, to most preachers, if you if you study them, listen to them from old timers, who are just, stuff is available, you will see this was the most terrifying letter for all of them. Most terrifying letter, because if you notice the letter, there's nothing good he says about this church. Nothing. Even the other ones, which are in all kinds of sins, he had something good to say. But to this church, if you notice, he has nothing good to say. Okay, that's why it's scary. And all of them, even Spurgeon said, the church in his time was like Laodicea. <laughs> and every century you'll find great men saying the church in their time was more like Laodicea. So it's a very scary thing okay, about Laodicea. So the first thing he says to the angel, the church of the Laodiceans, that's how it is written. And you will see the introduction itself is different from the other churches. To the other, usually the place is mentioned. But to the church of the Laodiceans. Laodicea, they say, meaning means people's will. This is a church controlled by people, not by the Spirit of God. That is why you see Jesus outside. He is not Lord. He is not Lord of the church. The people are in control. That is how the address begins. Okay. Now let me again make a ride, a couple of riders here. Okay. One. Lot of um, theologians, when I have read their their discourses or commentaries on the Book of Revelation, especially the seven churches, they will go to Turkey. They will put the images. They will talk about different aspects of each of these cities where these churches were, and then try to bring together the nature of those cities, of those days, and then connect it to what Jesus is saying. And if you have noticed, I refuse to do that. Because we don't want to bring a secular pagan history and archaeology into the study of the word of God. Because that's a very dangerous thing. Because if you do that, then you will have to bring the history of Rome into the book of Romans and the Corinthian culture, all that. So you're going to extra biblical stuff. Okay, because if you look at it, they will say this city was very rich. They had, they were very famous for their wool and they were very famous for ophthalmology. That's why he's talking about their riches and he's talking about their nakedness and he's talking about their blindness. But we don't want to go into this pagan history and want to know the nature of the church because today, of course, we have the advantage of doing all that. But think about a 100 years back, four hundred years back, all those centuries when men of God were studying and teaching this word of God, they didn't have any of this information available, and yet they taught and prepared their church. So we have to be very, very careful when we bring extra biblical things to the interpretation of scripture, because if scripture is truth, scripture can stand on its own. We can use illustrations and, uh, examples to make people understand better, but using extra biblical things to interpret scripture, even the big names of today, everybody goes there. And some of them go on a vacation trip to these places and then teach, gather the teach around these monuments and try to teach them that. There's no need for any of those things because think about, uh, think about the pastor in an underground church in China. Where is he going to get his resources from the teach line? What difference does it make? Okay, so we have to be very careful how we study scripture. Second thing, like big names, today's big names like you know, very dogmatic they are, like John MacArthur. We respect him, he's a very good teacher of the word. But the problem is that, you know, whenever they come to texts like this or other churches, know, the first take is that this is a church full of unbelievers. And why would why would Jesus wanna write to them? Jesus doesn't write to unbelievers. Okay, So then who is the angel of the church? Who is the pastor of the church? Is he also an unbeliever? What is he doing over there? The simple take is that, see, it's a very easy thing to say that they are all unbelievers. See, see, if you have a perceived notion of salvation, because they make salvation very difficult. I don't make salvation difficult, I make rewards very difficult, because I look into the Word I've got rewards are very difficult. Salvation is not difficult in Corinthians three. It says many will come through the fire with all their works saved, but he himself may come through because his foundation was right. And the foundation is very simple; it's not very difficult. But they make salvation so difficult, and because they hold on to that premise, whenever they read a letter like this to a church in Laodicea and see God has nothing good to say about them, so they wipe it off by saying they were no believer; they are all unbelievers. Same thing with the church. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. They're all unbelievers. It's easy to brush it off, but that is a judgment which only God can make. So we have to be very careful even when we listen to big time people. Okay. Uh, like every one of them from St. Augustine to Martin Luther to to all of these people, if you li- look at certain exegesis of them about so many things, you don't want to go over there. Like many of them were very anti-Semites, They're very anti-Semitic they were, okay? And uh, if you listen to St. Augustine, who lived a very amorous life before he got saved, and you see the effect of it, is he has his own teachings on sex, you would be shocked because according to Augustine, the only purpose of sex was to procreate and nothing else. Okay. So this is where you don't bring your personal experiences into the word of God unless your experience is ratified by the word of God. Your experience or my experience is not the truth. The truth is God's word. If your experience exp- addresses or agrees with the word of God, it is truth. If it is not, it is a lie. It's a lie. Okay. And that's, that's where tr- truth has become relative. So you need to realize all people, even from Augustine onwards, they struggle with relative truth. Okay, so we need to be very careful how we interpret scripture, because that's why I don't want to go into the seven places in Turkey and go to their ruins and pagan history and try to bring it there. No, we'll stick to scripture. That's enough. Okay, that's more than enough. So God says, these things say the Amen. Okay, Amen. Okay, so when he says Amen, you need to realize amen actually means it's a it's, it's a confirmatory word it's a standing kind of a word where it says so let it be okay if you if you were to use that same term amen in the beginning Jesus will say verily verily I say unto you okay if you were to use amen in the beginning of something emphatic okay amen it is true okay it is true okay so we need to realize for children amen means you can start to eat Okay. They don't understand what amen is. They know after grace, if you say amen, you can start eating. But that's not what it means. The Hebrew word is, it is ascending to the truth, saying that, yes, I agree with it. Okay. So if you remember, in um, the second generation, in Deuteronomy 27, they are supposed to stand on two hills and pronounce the blessings and curses. After each, they are supposed to say amen. Amen. Okay, so that's what it means. So it's a very, very powerful if you look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Okay, behold, he's coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will moan because of him, even so. I mean, it's a very powerful truth that is happening, which will happen. I don't know when it's happening. It's talking about Israel, that's when Israel will accept their Messiah, okay, and as long as Israel does not accept their Messiah, they will go through the trouble, they will go through, but they cannot be destroyed because God will protect them, but they will go through, but remember, Zachariah will pronounce the blessing that the spirit of grace and supplication will come upon them, then they will look at home, okay, so please remember, even to pray, supplication, you need grace, Okay, so you need grace. So first is, it's always begin. That is why even when you're prayer, no man will boast because if you really want to pray, you need grace. It is a spirit of grace that comes and you make your supplications and God hears. That's how it works. So this is connected with Israel, but it's a very powerful truth about Jesus' second coming. And it emphatically ends with the statement, even so, amen. Then we come to the end of Revelation chapter 22 and the end of the Bible as we have it. 22 and verse 20, right, verse 20, yeah, yeah, Hebrews, sorry, Revelation chapter 22, 21, not 20, 21, yeah, 21, Revelation 22, 21. The grace, okay, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am quick coming quickly, and what do we say? Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So that's how the Bible ends. The Bible ends with that word. Amen. And Jesus says, I am the Amen. Okay? I am the truth. God is truth. I am the truth. And I am the affirmation to the truth. And Jesus is God's Amen. God's final word. To the human race. He's the final word. In Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. This is how the Bible says. God who at various times in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophet. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. So Jesus is God's amen. His final word, not Muhammad. Okay? It, it's it's a, not a matter of humor, it's a matter of logic. Because after Jesus, nobody can come. They cannot be a final prophet. They cannot. Jesus, after God has spoken through his son, that is why they have these issues about Jesus being the son of God. Because they are looking at it physically and not understanding the spiritual connotation. So here, okay? God has spoken. Jesus is his Amen. And everything that God has promised mankind from Genesis one onwards, every promise, every prophesy, prophecy, everything is ratified and fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So in Second Corinthians one twenty, this is what the Bible says: For all the promises of God in Him are and are yes, and in Him, Amen to the glory of God through us. So when God is coming and telling this church in Laodicea, I am the Amen, we need to understand what he's talking about, I am the Amen, meaning he's telling this church, take me very seriously, because my word is the final word. Somebody else comes and tells you something else about you, don't get it away, because I am the final word about your condition, because I am the one who will ultimately judge you. It's the final word. Okay, and then the next thing he says, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. Okay, so he says everything that he says is true. He's faithful, we'll come to the faithful after Okay, Okay, because today the casualty is truth, but everything Jesus says is true. Everything that Jesus says is true, and he is the true witness of everything. Because He was in the bosom of the Father from the beginning. okay, He was there from the beginning, and He has come to reveal the Father. Therefore, He is the only actual true witness. We are only partial witnesses. That's why we are called to walk by faith, because when we walk by faith, we become true. When we walk by sight, we become partially true, partially false. So when we walk by faith is the only time when we are actually true and true witnesses of God and so God says he is the faithful and true witness okay and he's faithful we looked at this true um, faithful earlier also okay so we will not spend time on it but again once again looking at it when he says he is the faithful one you need to realize first Jesus is faithful vertically to the father Everything the Father entrusted to him. He did it faithfully. In word, in deed, in thoughts, in emotions, in attitude, everything. He is the faithful witness. If somebody has to obey us, how should I live before God? We'll say, look unto Jesus. He is the one faithful to the Father, too. He is faithful to man. He is faithful to us. Okay, both. Okay, faithful to God. And faithful to man, which is not an easy feat. It's a very difficult feat, and he is the actual. That is why he is the true fitness, because he is faithful to God, and faithful to man. In the same way, he is faithful to us. Therefore, we need to know that he will not deceive. He will not. He will not lie. He will not deceive. In Second Timothy chapter two, verse eleven to thirteen, Paul will say, "This is a trustworthy saying. This is a faithful saying." For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, now that's it. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. Because he cannot deny himself. Okay. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny. One of the simple questions, one of the simple issues Face with believers, especially young believers, okay? And older believers also, even till this morning, yesterday, when you talk to people, is that, no? Even when you confess, when you repent, so many people are putting the focus on them and not on God. On God, okay? The Bible says, if we confess, What's the next verse? He, he's, faithful. he's faithful. He's faithful. Okay. It's not how the depth of your confession, the detail of your confession. Okay. Because you know what? Godly sorrow brings uh, repentance with godly sorrow. Okay. Now, when I talk to people and they said, no, I don't feel anything. I said, wait a second. Can, can you give me a list of your sins? And they cannot. I said, for most sins which we talk about, people don't need sorrow. Don't need sorrow. I woke up late, oh, I have to deeply deal. Deep. No, you don't have to, you just said all no, that, I'm sorry. Because sometimes our, the teaching people receive causes them to put more, I said, then they will go to Psalm 51. I said, in Psalm 51, do you know what David is talking about? Do you know what David is talking about? If your model, paradigm for repentance, for everything is Psalm 51, I said you will have a nervous breakdown. Psalm 51 is the cry of a man who took another man's wife, got a husband, lied, cheated, murdered, you name it, he's done it all. He's broken all the Ten Commandments. That is the cry of that man. And if you're going to apply that to everything that you do in life, you will be a mental wreck. Now, that's not what God is talking about, okay? Because when even when, see, even when I repent and when I confess, where is my faith on? My faith is on his faithfulness, faithfulness. Because if I take my focus from him to me, I will never be satisfied or I will be quickly satisfied. Either of the the situations we can get into. So all we can do in life is bank on him because he is faithful. He is faithful. So that's what the Bible says. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. That is his character. He cannot deny himself. That is why every promise in the Bible is yea and amen. If you look at the promises of of God, let me tell you for uh, uh, two promises are the most important promises. The first promise is that anyone who believes in the Son is not condemned. That's the most important promise you need. The second one is that now you are a believer, but remember you lived a life that you lived on your own and you did not. You were like here, but towards the end of your life, like somebody passed away yesterday, but during the last days of his life, though he lived a life Apart from God, so much of it apart, he came through that process of repenting and confessing and praying and along with that. So what happens over there is that you need to realize now when you're finishing your life, the most important is again God's promise. If you confess, he is faithful. Okay. So if you look at all the promises of God, the most important are these two. The rest of it is compared to eternity. The rest of it is not so important. But if you look at both these promises, it's entirely dependent upon the faithfulness of God and not you. It's not on you. If I believe on Jesus, you mean, I escape God's condemnation, I will go to heaven? I'll go to heaven. Okay. The answer is yes. Why? Because God said so. And every promise of God is in Christ Jesus. It is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So we need to understand when Jesus is talking something and the final letter to the final church, his introduction, I am the one who is amen, the faithful and the true witness. We need to understand what he's telling the church because he's actually he's going through the the process of opening up the church. I mean, how do you see yourself and how do I see you? How do I see you? And when I see you, he says, be very careful about what I am telling because you need to know who is speaking. My word is the last word. My word is the last word. That is what Amen means. You can be very sure, I am the faithful and the true witness. And then we come to the controversial word over there, the beginning of the creation of God. It's a controversial because, you know, a lot of people, Jehovah's Witnesses run with it. Okay? And they have a false doctrine that Jesus is a created being. Okay? Now Jesus is talking about Himself. Okay, as the originator of all God's creation. If you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 17, this is how we use scripture to use, interpret scripture. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist. Okay. Now if you come to John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So that means, talking about creation, he was there in the beginning, with God. Okay, He was not the beginning, not that he had a beginning, he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, without him, nothing was made, that was made. Now we come to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. okay, And then verse 8. God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had Himself by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of. Now, the issue is the question is that does he have a beginning or not? The answer is he has a beginning as a human being. He does not have a beginning as God. Because if he has a beginning as God, then he is not God. He is not God. Okay, this is where the issue comes in. Okay, does he have a beginning as God? No, he was always God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, always there existing as three different entities but they are one in essence in nature unity character everything if you come towards eight we will see his beginning as okay but to the son he says your throne O god is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom okay so his son is called a god is called god there the father calls him god so, the son is God, that means he did not have a beginning in the beginning he was with the father, but when he when did he become a son is the question is when God um, comes into Mary's womb today, I have begotten you that is his beginning okay that is, and he still holds on to that in nature because he is both man and God now, that is why he is in the Trinity is the only one who has a body, and we will be taking his form in eternity, therefore. We have to look at the threefold introduction of Jesus Christ, the gravity of it. I am the one who is speaking. It's the last word on every matter. I am the faithful and true witness. And I am the beginning of creation of God. I am the beginning. So better listen to what I say. Then coming to verse 15 and 16, he says, I know thy works. I know thy works. And again, like in Philadelphia, if you notice, none of the works are mentioned. I know he works. Okay? Outwardly, it looks like the same as Philadelphia. With the difference that your works are worthless. Worthless. To Philadelphia, your works are valuable. It will be counted on the Day of Judgment. You will get your rewards. Your works are counted. In this case, your works are not counted. Okay, your works are worthless. It is not worth mentioning. In Philadelphia, the works were motivated by love. Okay, but here, if you look at them, their works are characterized by something that we call lukewarm. Okay, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. He uses it again a second time. So then, because you are lukewarm, And neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my, of my mouth. Okay. (coughs) Again, theologians will go to (coughs) lavodishi. They can't sit with their Bible in their studies. They will go to Laodicea and they will talk about how one place the water came which was cold. Another was from a hot spring which was hot. By the time it reached Laodicea, both became lukewarm. You don't have to go over there, over there. Okay. Because it's a very dangerous interpretation because when the Bible actually uses the term cold, it does not mean that. It does not mean that. Okay. First, let us look okay take a cup of ice cold water from the fridge okay ice cold water from the fridge and a cup of hot coffee or green tea or whatever on this table and to make both lukewarm what do you need to do answer nothing it's a matter of time. nothing it's a matter of time the cold will become room temperature, the hot also will become the room temperature. All you have to do is nothing. Okay, nothing. This is what your God is talking about. He's saying, you know what? You are, you are Luca. Luca. Okay, you are Luca. You are Luca. He says, okay, so for me, it's my interpretation from scripture when God is talking about being cold he's talking about being dead copse okay yeah, copse is cold okay you know it becomes cold the is cold basically you say I wish either you were on fire for me he's talking about mm-hmm. zeal here either you were on fire for me or you were cold and just just get out of church change your name. I wouldn't say tell people, just uh, get out of church. I would tell them, change your name. Change your name. Call yourself some other Gentile name. We don't carry the name of a Christian. Because Christians in the Bible were characterized by their zeal, their love and their zeal for God and for one another. God says, if you are cold, it does not matter because you are not a witness to my name. Okay, there are lots of Hindus and Muslims and all this thing. Okay, now we have this war going now in the Middle East. And last week there was this fake news about how Israel bombed a hospital in Gaza. 500 died and it was all fake news. It was their rocket which killed and it was not even in the hospital. It was in the parking lot and I think around maybe 50 died. It created protests all over the Middle East and also, you know, this is how, and nobody is saying sorry for the fake news.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay? But the fact of the matter is, the hospital was an Anglican hospital. Okay? It was an Anglican hospital. And nobody is talking about that. You should ask, what is this Christian hospital doing in Gaza? Mm-hmm. Okay? And treating the care, this thing. So you need to realize, no. If you are not zealous for God, if you are not interested, God is saying, don't make, don't make a mess of my name. Because if your name is John, a will think you are a Christian. But you do. You are not interested in Christ. Okay. But you carry that name. Carry that name. Okay. So when God is saying, either be cold or be hot, either be my witness or just stay out. Because you are messing up my name, because we don't have a name of our own, we have only his name. So he uses that two times in verse fifteen and sixteen. He says, you "No, know, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot." I mean, we we cannot blame uh, Lavadesha alone because Lavadesha is there all around the world. Every I mean, even our church there are Lavadeshas, Lavadeshas. Okay. The only time you will know they are a Christian is because they come to church on a Sunday. That if they come to church on a Sunday. But after that, you wouldn't know that they were Christians at all. There would be absolutely no way by word, by work, behavior, anything that they belong to Christ. They belong to Christ. Okay. There's absolutely no zeal in them for, at all for Christ. Okay, and that's what God is talking about over here. And that's what He is saying. So, it is a marker. It's a marker. Okay? It is a marker. What they don't have is zeal. What they don't have is zeal. And therefore, it is very, very important. Okay, so, passion, or zeal. The first thing we need to look at it is that passion or zeal. If you come to John chapter 5 and verse 35. Not one, 535. 535. He was a burning and shining lamp. It was not just a shining lamp. That's in the world. They're just shining. But he was a burning and shining lamp. They saw his zeal. They saw his passion for Christ. They saw his zeal. About Jesus, in Psalm 69 and verse 9, this is what is written. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up. Okay, So you will see about Jesus, about John. In Luke 24, verse 32, this is what the apostles, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus said. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened scriptures to us? There was a burning when they were listening to scripture. When he was opening up scriptures, there was a burning inside them. Okay, In Romans 12 and verse 11. This is what scripture says, okay? Not lagging in diligence, but fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, okay? So it all talks about this fervency, passion, zeal, fire. And speaking about the last days, very familiar verse for us by now in Matthew 24, verse 12. Okay? Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. They will lose their zeal. Laodicea is a church which has lost its passion, lost its zeal. Okay? In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, Peter warns about this state. It says, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy command that delivered to them. Okay, when people lose their zeal, they go revert back to their old default setting. okay Now please understand this is true of every relationship. So many people, when they come for marriage counseling, usually after a couple of years, two, three, four years of marriage, do you need to realize they are going through what we call a crisis. and the crisis is basically because the zeal is gone. Men and women in their marriages face this. Parents face it with their children. Children face it with their, uh, with their parents. People face it with their relationship with God and with one another. This is a, this is, I'm not saying it's a normal thing, but expect it to happen. You start losing your zeal and your passion. Zeal and your passion. Okay. And always the question is, where did it go? Where did it go? Remember, uh, uh, with uh, with uh, efficiency, they had everything right, but they had lost their first law that was gone. In this, I believe they have everything wrong and they have no zeal also. Mm-hmm. They have no zeal also. Okay, they are the typical people who probably have an outer appearance, but please remember, this is how it starts. This is what God is warning about. And if you go back to the church, and so to that um, verse 17, 16, 17, you will see the diagnosis, okay? So then because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, the danger of it, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The mouth is basically, is witness. God says, you will cease being my witness in your generation. You will not be my witness. I will not allow you to speak and be my witness. You will stop being my witness. That is the danger of it. Okay? can you out of my mouth. Meaning, he says, in modern language, he says, you make me sick. You make me sick. If you come to verse 7, we need, what is, what is the primary, many secondary reasons are there. What is the primary reason? The primary reason is this. Because you say, I'm rich, I am rich, have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. So the primary reason if you look at is, is materialism. This is what happened to Israel and what happens to the church and to individual Christian when they become rich. Not that when they become rich, but what it does to their heart. You have become rich, you have become wealthy and have need of nothing. If you go study in English, you will see rich and wealthy doesn't mean the same. Okay, so this church is rich. And it is wealthy, and have need of nothing. Because what this is a curse of riches. What it makes you is basically it makes you little by little independent of God. Honestly, the rich man and the poor man doesn't pray the same way. Doesn't pray the same way. One of the difference between the rich man and Lazarus was their prayer life was different. So the poor man automatically is dependent upon God. Dependent. He, he, he does not have that independent spirit. He is dependent. Okay, So God says they will receive the gospel faster than the rich man because their natural circumstances itself has created dependency in them. And when they hear it, the most difficult thing has made easy. They receive it faster. This is what. So wealthy is not talking about money alone. Wealthy can be in different things. You can be wealthy in wisdom, wealthy in knowledge, wealthy in strength. So riches and wealth are not necessarily the same. When you talk about riches, it is talking about money, material goods. But there are other things you can be wealthy in. Knowledge is not material, but you can be wealthy in it. So this is a church which is rich, and it is wealthy, and what it is, doing it to them. okay? Because what happens is, this is what happens is, but it causes spiritual complacency. Even your seeking of God is different. Seeking of God is different. You may seek God, but the reason you seek God is not for the same reason as the one who is poor in the spirit is seeking. That's a difference. Okay, if you go to Ezekiel 16 and verse 49, the important passage talking about the sin of Sodom. Okay? Sin of Sodom. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride. Okay, pride. Fullness of food, abundance of idleness. This was the issue. The issue is that Sodom was rich. Sodom was rich. It was rich. And riches, the more rich Sodom became, it fed into their pride. It it, it works together. The more rich you become, if you're not careful in your heart, you will become proud. Okay. The more proud you become, the more riches you want to feed your pride. Okay, they feed on each other. Okay, and that's why it's talking about the fullness of bread. They are wealthy. They are wealthy. Fullness of bread. And abundance of idleness. These three came together. Okay, So this is the person who is saying, I am rich. I have need of nothing. I have need of nothing. So you have plenty of time. You do not know what to do with time. Like when we talk about all the perversions in history. Perversions in history. If you realize it has come from the East. From the rich and the powerful. The kings of India, the kings of the East, the harems and everything. It is not the poor man. Poor man was trying to scrap his this thing for two pieces of bread or roti or whatever. The rich, you will realize, it come to every pleasure which was legit. How it became illegit is because they were after that. Because they had money, they had pride, they had fullness of bread and they had idleness. And then when the West became prosperous, because it became prosperous, it also went the same way. When Israel became prosperous, Deuteronomy says says, Jeshurun grew fat and he kicked God. This is the danger. Okay, If you go, if you look at, if you read verse 17, and then you go to Revelation 18, 7, you will see how. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Now if you go to Revelation 8 and verse 7, this is Babylon. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am no widow and I will see no sorrow. This is Babylon. This is Babylon. And that is what is the issue. The Lavodisha has become like Babylon. There's no difference between Lavodisha and Babylon. And you will see that's exactly what the last 50 years prosperity gospel has done. The churches are that motivation in those churches and the people are no different from the people in the world. Nothing. And God says, you make me sick. You make me sick. So this is what we are looking at. So we have to be very, very careful, rich and wealthy, rich and successful. You need to realize how it is sold. How it is sold. Okay, the pursuit of happiness, which was in the American Constitution for that generation, and what it meant later was something, something else altogether. Something else altogether. Okay, so riches and uh, success is very dangerous. And if you know history, and if you know your Bible, very few people pass that test. The most difficult test. Again, everyone, if you look at every one of them, fail in that test. You will see, even David fell when he was rich and wealthy. That's when he decided, no need to go to war. And that's when he, his worst fall, the Philistine camp, was because of fear. And that there was both God and the enemy involved in it, basically teach Israel a lesson, not David. But his great fall happened because he became rich and wealthy and got into his head that I don't need to go to war, let the others go. That's when he fell and probably Second uh, Chronicles 16 or 20, Uzziah. 26.16, 16, 2 Chronicles 26.16. Okay? This is a man whom God prospered as long as he followed. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Destruction. Okay? So we have to be very, very careful. Very, very careful. There are very few people in the Bible itself. Very few people. One of the few people is... For instance, is Joseph? Because when Joseph was tempted, tempted, he was at the highest point of his career in Egypt. He had become steward to the captain of the guard in Pharaoh's palace. Okay, so he had reached his highest point up there, but he refused to compromise. Refused to compromise. So is Daniel. So it's Daniel, if you go to Daniel chapter 6 verses 1 to 3, it's a, because we look at the, we talk about his prayer life and the lion's den, but that is not the real thing. The real thing is the context. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, meaning he has 20, 120 provinces is going to appoint governors and to be over the whole kingdom and over this there will be three governors in charge of all of them and of these three whom daniel is one the satraps might give account to them so that king would he was to be one of that three or probably the topmost. okay and yeah come to verse two and over these three so that the king would suffer no loss and the bible says Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. That is what started off the whole thing. Okay, All the others got together and said, you know what, we don't want this Hebrew dude over us. So let us see what we can fix him. And they tried everything. They couldn't find him anything according to the law. He was clean as a whistle. Okay. And then they decided to go against him in the, in one thing that is his prayer. So that is what is important. He is at this, he's successful. Now only one position is left for him. That is to be second to the king. And when that is being attacked, and he will get it if he compromises and says, I will not pray for 30 days, that's what he refuses to do. So we don't see the context. We don't see the context. We only talk about his prayer and the lobbying. But we don't see, this is a man who was extremely successful, going to be even more successful, reach the pinnacle of his career, and he refused to be compromised over there. Okay, and because he realizes, you know what? I need God. Mm-hmm. Because Lavadisha says, I need nothing. I need nothing. Daniel temporarily could have said, I need nothing. But that's not his truth. He says, I cannot do without God. I can do without disposition. But I cannot do without God. Okay, this is where the issue comes. And this is the curse of materialism. The curse of materialism. Mammon. Okay, our heart is affected. In Matthew 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is what money does. This is what money does. He says, you know, first, it will affect your heart. Affect your heart. Your love. It's because God brings over the good thing He says. Love. Second, it will affect your loyalty. See, love and loyalty proceeds from the heart. It doesn't proceed from the head. Because you see, you may look at a person and you love him, okay, with all his flaws, okay, and he is wrong, you will correct him, but you will still be loyal that is what it means a friend who sticks at all times okay all times okay so all this proceeds doesn't from the head it proceeds from the heart the problem is money goes to the root it goes to your heart as soon as money goes to your heart what happens is it affects your love and it affects your loyalty okay and then uh, in one john Chapter 2 and verse 15, that is what God is talking about. Okay, Do not love the world or the things in the world, because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It will affect the love for the Father will go, of the Father, for the Father will go, it will go. The question is, how can it go if I love the world? The question is, if you love anything, you need the means to satisfy that. Otherwise, it's what you call an unrequited love. So if you love the world, you need money. That is why people are lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. Okay? You need money. Without money, it is not possible. That is why when children come and ask you, I need money, you ask them for what? What do you need money for? I understand. Okay, we all need money. But what do you need money for? Give me an account. What do you need money for? If I give you, you are now, I'll give you pocket money. But you're only 12 years old, 13 years old. When I give you pocket money, though it is your pocket and my money, remember, I need accounts. I need accounts. You can spend it, but you cannot spend it on whatever you want. Still, you are under supervision. I want to know what are you spending it on. Okay, why do, why do parents have to be strict like that? Because of what money can do to them. Because money, this is what God is doing. Because the church, Laodisha, why is God so sick about it? Because the church says, I am rich. I am rich. So it affects your love. It affects your loyalty. And James chapter 2 and verse 5. It affects your faith. It affects your faith five. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, okay? And heirs of the kingdom. So we need to ask ourselves, yes, what does riches do to me? Not what does it do, what it can do, what it can do. Okay? Because the question is, okay, when you are poor, Okay, when you are like this the, the the widow at Zarefat or the other widow of Elisha's age, all of this. When they are poor, you have to exercise your faith in so many areas. When you are sick, when Jesus is walking or not, so many people are crying out, are those who are sick. Those who are well are not exercising their faith because they don't need. The woman with an issue of blood, she had became desperate because she was not getting healed and all her money was finished. So she was forced to exercise. Okay, people who don't read their Bibles, Christians, when they get a medical report that this is terminal, this is dangerous, they start praying more. They start reading their Bible. They start marking their Bible. They start looking for all healing scriptures. The question is, what brought you there? What you brought. Now you don't have to go there, but you need to understand human fallen man's nature, psychology. That's the only way you will go there. You will only, there are very few people, very, very few people. So, riches or money or wealth affects your love, your loyalty and your faith towards God. Okay, so you need to realize why. Why? Because it causes you to think and to act independent of God independent of God that is why the two things are used one is rich the other is wealthy wealthy okay because that's what God said don't eat from that tree if you eat you will die you will die you will die because the question is if you eat of it what will automatically happen is you will start living independent of me I am life you live independent of me, you will die, and that was the, the what's what the devil was trying to sell it to mankind okay now think about it, okay, think about it. you got very high degree you're very well qualified, very well qualified in a particular area any any stream you're very well qualified okay, and you have any issue. You don't go to this for wisdom. You don't go to this for wisdom. You lean on your wisdom, your knowledge to solve the problem. Mm. Solve the problem. Okay. You're not dependent upon God so much. You're not dependent upon God so much. That is basically what is have in churches called TED Talks. Okay. They have, I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, if that's what you want, you go there. The question is this, it will cost you an eternity. It may benefit you temporarily. Okay. They bring all these experts from different fields, different fields, and they give, get them to me, give you pep talks. Okay. Somewhere around this thing. But at the end of it, it is not dependence upon God. Dependence upon God. Okay, And this is where the danger comes. This is where the danger comes, where God says, be very, very careful. Because what riches do to us is it causes us to think and to act independent of God. Second, we get so blinded by the temporal, we forget the eternal. Okay, let me ask you this question. An average Christian, if you ask him, let me say, brother, what do you think of life in heaven? Okay, they will say, yeah, uh, there is no trouble. There is no trouble, okay? And there are no trials. There are no testings. I don't have to go through all that I go through. But if that is what you are thinking of, it, most of this thing can be achieved in this life with money? can be achieved with money. Rich people, even through during COVID, they didn't go through anything. How many rich people died? Before the lockdown came, they all flew in their private jets to specific islands and they had a gala time during those entire lockdown. They didn't go through anything what average man went through because they had money. So if you are thinking about life in heaven, in terms of what money can bring you on earth, you need to understand why God had to change the whole situation. You have a Genesis, but you need an Exodus. The problem is you need to have an Exodus because Israel is in Egypt. And if Egypt Israel has to live in Egypt, they are not going to live in Egypt as long as they are prosperous. They are comfortable, they are secure, they are multiplying, they are prosperous, everything. Who wants to go to this promised land? You can tell them and say, it flowing with milk and honey, I got milk and honey here. Why should I go there? I have milk and honey over here. So the Bible says, Pharaoh died. Another Pharaoh came. This Pharaoh did not know Joseph. And he turned and says, These people are dangerous. So let us put them into hard labor. Suddenly, citizen became slave. Now they want to go. They want to go. They want to go. They want to go. Get out. okay? And that is precisely what is happening in the last days. God is allowing the screws to be tightened. The church is suddenly realizing, we need to go. Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. Suddenly, churches all are starting saying, Marnatha come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Okay, In Matthew 13 and verse 22. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. So there is, there are two things over here with Jesus. When Jesus is talking in Matthew 6, he's talking to the poor people, okay? They're poor people. He says, if you are bent down by cares, Okay, what is cares? What will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? The average man in the world, this is what he's going through because he has no food, he has not drinking water. Wherever it is, no, this is, whether you are in Gaza, whether you are in Israel, the situation is there, you are under lockdown, you need to have enough food, if you are in Israel, enough water to drink, all those situations. That side, it's even more disastrous. So everywhere in the world, the poor man is bowed down by the cares. What to eat, what to drink, what to wear, question is that he's so bent down by the cares of the world he forgets to prepare for eternity so Jesus will say no pagans are like that pagans are like that be very careful, you on the other hand, you have a father who will take care of these things but you put your nose forward think about his kingdom and his righteousness because this is what lack of riches will cause you to do Lack of riches will cause you to do. On the other hand, what riches will cause you to do, do, riches is very deceitful. Very deceitful. There's a deception in riches. It causes you never to prepare for the eternal. Because you think there is always time, always time, and God is with me because, see, he has prospered me. So I am a rich man has a solution to almost every problem in his life. Okay. Even if he's diagnosed with a terminal disease, you know to the lengths he will go and can go for life. He will fly to the best hospital in the world. He will pay through his nose. And often he survives for years together. The reason is because it is. But the thing is that it does not prepare you. The deceitfulness connected with riches. In Mark chapter 10, 23 to 25, this is what Jesus says. Okay, you have to read each of these verses. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, what is the context? The context is the young rich ruler. He's a good man. He comes and falls at Jesus' life and says, Master, what should I do to earn eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. So he said, I have kept it from my childhood. And Jesus loved him. And he says, you know what, he looked at him and says, he's a rich guy. The problem is not that he's a rich guy that's got his heart. His heart has been captured by riches. So his love, his loyalty, his faith, these three things have been affected because these three things come from the heart. They don't come from the head. You can increase these three things which is in your heart by adding knowledge to them on your head, but they don't come from the head. They don't come from the head. All these three things, love, loyalty and faith comes from the heart. So he told him, sell your wealth, And follow, sell all and give it to the poor and follow me. And the Bible says he went very sadly because he was a rich man. So Jesus said, did you see the problem? Do you know why he's finding it so difficult to follow me? Because his heart has been taken over. Though he's a good man, he stings. He stings. And God's nostrils, he says, I want to spit him out. If he goes on like this, I have to vomit him out because you know why? His heart has been taken over by something else. So here Jesus is saying, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Words. The reason is because the entire new covenant promises are gone and if you obey, you will become rich. Right? The whole Point of leaving Egypt and going, when they left Egypt, they plundered the Egyptians. Everyone was wealthy. Okay? That's why he took them into the wilderness. If he had not taken them into the wilderness, they wouldn't have eaten manna. With manna, they would have gone and bought all the other stuff and eaten. You need to understand, they had plenty of money. And then they were promised houses they did not build, wells they did not dig, and gold and silver and cattle and flocks. They were rich and wealthy. They had material gold and silver, and they would become very wealthy. So that is the entire Old Testament paradigm. So when they heard this, they were shocked. They are saying, disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again. Now he's exemplifying, he says, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. Those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Because to enter the kingdom of God, first you need faith. That is the first thing. You need faith. But you have always trusted riches. Always trusted riches. Okay, that's why in every church you look at history is the rich people who made trouble. And when they were not, they said, We will go and we will not take our money with us. And the pastors would all get scared. All these big churches—that is what happens, okay? Because what happened is that their trust was in the riches. The trust was in the riches. So it's not about becoming rich. Where is your trust, okay? Where is your trust? How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Then he says, it's, okay, he uses a hyperbole. it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus is putting, we have to look at because we need to realize Jesus has spoken about riches and wealth in his teachings, probably more than most subjects most subjects because he, he knows what will block our eternity or steal our rewards in eternity. Either it will block you in eternity or it will block your rewards in eternity. He knows this. as so how to handle this? If you go to Luke chapter 1 and verse 53. 1 and verse
1: 53. He has
0: filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Rich he has sent away empty. Okay, we need to understand what the word of God is talking about. Okay, Luke chapter 6, verse 24 and 25. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Remember, Sodom was full. They were rich, they were full. And what is Laodicea saying? I am rich and I have no need of anything. That means I am full. I am full. When a believer, a Christian or a church becomes like that, God says, "What do you. What do you. What do you, he says, woe to you. What? because you have received your consolation. Meaning, what is this? Honestly, I'm telling you, most people's prayers are connected with these things, the temporal things. So, he says, you prayed, you got your answer, you got your consolation, you were not really interested in the eternal things, all your prayer requests were temporal, you got your consolation, when you got your answer, you became rich, you got your answer, you were hungry, you are full, but you are full, you shall hunger. You are laughing now, having your parties. See, remember when he talks about, like I said, when Jesus talks about Noah's days and Lord's days and tells us to remember Lord, he doesn't mention any sin. Doesn't mention any sin. In Noah's, when you read Genesis, he talks about every thought, every imagination. Lot's time, he talks about the Sodomites and militant Sodomy, all those things. But when he talks about, in the Gospels, he doesn't mention. He just mentioned casual things. What were they doing? They were buying, they were selling. So you had money. You had money. You were eating, you were drinking. You had money. You were giving in marriage and getting married. You had money. Because you can't do any of these things without money. Without money. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You've been captured by the deceitful of riches. And suddenly that day came. Suddenly that day came. So you're talking about when they say peace and security. What do you need in this life for peace and security? Money. 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 You need money. If you have money, you can have peace in almost every area of your life. And you can secure your possessions, your life, your surroundings. You can secure it. Anil Ambani is given Z category security by the order of the Supreme Court. Only thing, he has to pay for it and it's chicken feed for him. Okay, and the Supreme Court has said that even when he travels abroad, the government of India has to facilitate that. He will pay for it because his life is under threat. So you realize what the president gets, he gets. You know why? Because he's got money. He's got money. Okay, so this is what, so what happens is that your dependence on God comes down, comes down, comes down. Everything becomes pre-functional. Your prayer, your word life. You're not praying to get anything because you got everything. You're not reading the word to hear anything because you feel you don't need to hear anything. You got it all. You're wealthy. This is the danger, the deceitful of ditches because it gets you caught in the temporal. The temporal. It's a very dangerous place. Very, very dangerous place. And Jesus will use illustrations in the Bible to teach this. In Luke chapter 12, go to verse 16 to 21. We'll just read the five verses. just We don't have to even explain. Just read it. It's very interesting. 12, 16 to 21. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man. He was already rich and his ground yielded plentiful is going to become even more rich okay and he thought within himself saying what shall i do since i have no room to store my crops so he said i will do this i'll pull down my barns build greater and there i will store all my crops and my goods and i will say to my soul soul you have many goods laid up for many years take your ease eat drink and be merry okay and god said to him fool why is a fool? Because he lived his life as if there is no God to whom he has to give accounts. Because a fool has said, it. not that he's a foolish man. If He's a foolish man, he cannot make this kind of money. He's a very smart man, he's a very clever man, a okay, very smart man. But he's a fool because a fool has said in his heart, or lives, or lives in such a way as if he is not going to die, he's not going to meet his maker and give accounts. There is no God. This night, this night, your soul will be required of you. Then, whose will those things be which you have provided? What does it mean? What does this verse 20 mean? Jesus is using in the parable. God is speaking to him. He will sleep and he will not wake up. In time to put his life right. God is not speaking to him in in an audible voice or anything. He is speaking to him in his sleep. He says, you fool. These are your last moments. You are finished. You are done. So the question is, why was he undone? Because he was deceived by riches. You go to Luke chapter 16, another one which we know, verse 19 to 22. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, fed sumptuously every day, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of swords, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his swords. So it was, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. But the rich man, the Bible says, was in torment, being in torment. So the question is, what happened to the rich man? Why did he reach hell? Because he was rich? No, because he was deceived. He never made preparations. The poor man had always, he's a beggar, he has to be hungry. So there are two things that happens. His prayer life is different, and for everything he gets, he's very grateful. He's very grateful. Okay, what happens to one, rich people, their prayer life is different. And if they don't get what they want, they're very ungrateful. They get very angry. They get very angry. They get very upset. Poor people don't get upset. Poor people don't get upset like that. Because you know what? They are used in life not getting things. The rich man is used to having his own way. Because his money will buy his way through it all. That is why we say in English, it doesn't matter what you know, it's who you know. okay? Because you can buy your way through. That is why all these raids and all these things happening with rich men. Have you noticed rich men don't worry about it. They know it's a matter of time I can pay these people off the investigation. It doesn't matter which government comes and goes. It does not matter. Modi rules. Rahul rules, Adani is not going to be touched because Adani has put money in every state whether it is ruled by BJP or Congress. Money has never been touched. Tata has never been touched. Brilla has never been touched. These are all people. You mean all their money is pristine pure? No. So, but they have never been touched. They never been touched. You know why? Because that. So what happens is The rich man is deceived. Deception gets in. It's a very dangerous place to be in. But the poor man, because of his. So there are warning after warning after warning in the Bible. Go to, let's read a few warnings. 1st Timothy chapter 6, 9. Because we cannot skirt because come to the final church and the most. Those who decide to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Okay, destruction, okay? You need to, you need to realize if you study the history of how this goes, okay? See, there is a pleasure in everything. That's how God has ordained us, made us that way, because He is the originator of pleasure. But for the rich man, He is not satisfied with that pleasure. Okay, so all these restaurants are actually for the rich. Because they are not satisfied with the pleasure of eating normally. They need variety. They need variety. In the same way, okay, there is, let us say, pleasure in sex. But the rich man is not satisfied with it. So he will go into permission, permission and he will go into how to heighten it with drugs. Oh. That is why these thing two go together, and people die. People die. Okay. That is why fentanyl is sold easily available anywhere in America, not Bangladesh or Somalia. Okay. We need to understand how these things that is we're talking about foolish and harmful. Foolish and harmful. Because they are innovative. That's what happened to David and Solomon. Solomon was so rich. And yet, he had, he had peace. His father had destroyed all the enemies. Israel was at his pinnacle. He didn't know what to do. What he should have done was strengthen the hands of the poor. Instead, he taxed the poor. And then he went into... It's, it is actually... and You know what? There is pleasure in research also. Pleasure in research. He was a researcher. He was the first PhD student. He was a researcher. He went into every field because he did not n- know what to do with his money, with his time and his mind. Otherwise, think about it. Why do you need 300 wives and 600 concubines? Because he's experimenting pleasure. He's experimenting pleasure. Otherwise, you don't need it. He's experimenting. Different kinds, different races, different colors. He's experimenting. What was the reason? He was deceived by his riches. The Bible talks about it. Okay, now you come to 617. The warning and the command. Those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Because what happened? Pride and this thing come together. Okay. Not to trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things too. Even when he makes you rich, he says trust in God and not in riches because riches are uncertain. That is why Job is... Put across as an awesome person because he was the richest man of his times. and When everything was taken away, you knew where his heart was. His heart was not in uncertain riches because when everything was taken away, he worshipped God. But his wife's heart was in the riches. In the riches. So therefore she said, you curse God and die. Okay, this is what God is talking about. James chapter 1, 10 and 11. But the rich in his humiliation. Okay? But let's go to nine onwards. Okay? So it will give the all. Huh? Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. What is his exaltation? Oh Lord, I am poor. God says, you know what? You are really blessed. Because your prayer life is different. Your faith life is different. It's not like that you are, you are envying the rich man. In eternity, you have, I've told you the parable, right? About the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man was envying Lazarus. Mm. Eternity. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Why? He will say later we saw he made the poor rich in faith. But the rich in his humiliation because as a flower of the field he will pass away. Okay? And then verse 11. Okay? For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat then it withers the grass, it flower falls, its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. That is what happened to the rich man. He was his oh what can I do now? Too much of a harvest this time. Okay, I will break down. That's what rich men always merging companies bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. He will perish in his pursuit. But the poor man won't. Lazarus was always aware of death. Always aware of death. He knew he could either die of hunger or disease. Because he had both. He was poor and sores. So he was always prepared for death. Okay, So the poor man is more aware of death than the rich man. That's what he's talking about. The, the danger of it. If you come to James chapter 5 and 1 to 3, is a very pertinent, pertinent, Now, you rich and weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. You rich. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth eaten Your gold and silver are corroded. And the corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Why? You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Do you know this? More than ever in human history, we have more Mm -hmm. billionaires. Now, and more billionaires after COVID, because the rich became richer in the last days. In the last days. You know what they are heaping? They are heaping up treasures in the last days. The last days. So when judgment comes upon Babylon, if you look, it is the rich, the kings, the merchants, they are the ones who are weeping. Because in one hour, they will lose everything one hour they will lose everything so god is god is not against riches because he himself is rich the gold and the silver rises and he blesses his people with riches but he says be careful be very very careful very careful where your heart is so if you look at revelation 29 and then come to 317 to smyrna no to smyrna he says you know i know your works tribulation and poverty but you are rich they were poor, but they were rich. They were rich in faith. So he says, I can tell you, be faithful unto death, and you will be, because you are rich in faith. You have that faith to endure till death. You will. You are rich in faith, though you are poor. But a fellow that says to he says, you know what? You are rich, but you are poor. Rich, you are poor. You have no faith at all. You have no loyalty at all. You have no love at all. You are poor. Okay, so... Is being rich an indictment? No. No. But if we are not careful, what it will do to us, one, first and foremost, it will take our heart. It will affect our love for God. It will affect our loyalty towards God. It will affect our trust of God. We'll turn all this, we'll start loving money, we'll be loyal to money, and we will start serving money, and we will start trusting money, okay, so please, please be careful about it, so remember Abraham, that is why the final test for Abraham is to take his son, because his son was the epitome of his riches, all that he had worked for all his life, everything was going to go this man, this one man, and God said, offer him on the altar. Offering on the altar. The Bible says the next day. But if you look at the next generation, you need to ask, why did Isaac become complacent? Because he became rich and wealthy. And he became complacent. Okay. Complacent. And you look at Jacob and the next generation, you need to realize there was one man among them who was made poor, very old, nothing. He became a slave, owned nothing. But he was rich in faith. And he sustained himself in that enduring faith. And in that 13 years, you will notice him. His love for God never changed. His faith toward God never changed. His trust in God, loyalty never changed. Then God raised him up and made him the second most powerful and rich man in the country. But to redeem Jacob and his brothers, God had to bring a severe famine and break their breadstaff, make them poor. And then they all had to come to this rich man whose heart was with God and not in his riches that's what he's going to do in the last day so we have to be very very careful about it okay that if God makes you rich always say Lord make me rich only if these three things don't happen one it doesn't affect my love for you it doesn't affect my loyalty for you or my trust in you okay okay Okay. so we will see this and that is where we, we I mean there is more But if you realize uh, in, uh, what do you call it, in Ezekiel, right, in Ezekiel, when you, uh, 28, when you have this prince of Tyre and the king of Tyre, there's a physical ruler on earth and there is Lucifer on top over there, and you will realize both of them had to do with money. Your heart was lifted up because of your riches. Because of your riches. Okay? And Lucifer also did the same thing. And therefore, okay, because what, what money does is that, what actually money does is that you start trafficking. You become a trafficker. What you should receive from God, your peace and your security, you start Trafficking in the goods of this world to buy it. You buy peace and you buy security. These two things should come only from God. Should not come from anything from this world. That is why God promises His children a peace that passes understanding. Passes understanding. Okay. So that is basically, that is why in Zachariah God will say, there will be no Canaanite in my house. In my house. No Canaanite. No trafficker. In my house, no canonite in my house. So, on that note, we will stop for today, we'll continue on Monday because Lavadisha is the scariest church. And I look at old timers and I see all of them were scared of Lavadisha, not the other five so much. Not other five so much. They were more worried about Lavadisha because the reason they said it's God had nothing good to say about them, nothing at all. And He says, You make me sick that I want to vomit you out, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, and we need to realize in the last days that is what will happen. So we shall pray. We shall have Peter
1: and we shall pray. Mm -hmm. Holy, holy, holy Word of hope. <laughs>
0: Take heed to the warnings in the Bible. Okay? We know, we know we need money to live in this world. Because, because ultimately, everyone who will worship the Antichrist are the ones who will take the mark. And the reason they will take the mark is because you cannot buy or sell without the mark. So ultimate division, the final division of God in humanity when he makes a final division, it's made by those who have put their trust in money and their trust in God. The Antichrist will say Unless you take his mark, you cannot buy or sell. Okay? And God says these decisions are not made then. Every day we judge our hearts. Whom do I love? Who am I loyal to? And who do I put my trust in? You know, trust in. We have to be very, very careful about it. We keep praying, keep believing. Because the purpose of money, more than enough, that's our God, more than enough, is to strengthen the poor. Please understand, Jesus said you will have poor always. Till Jesus comes, there is going to be poor always. And the purpose of money is to strengthen the hand of the power. God says, let every man work. Let him not steal, let him work, so that he will have enough to give. Okay, that's how it works. Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. We Stand in the light of your word, Lord. And your word is true, because the one who spoke is the Amen, the faithful and the true witness. You have seen from the beginning till the end men and women who have fallen and have been restored. But Balaam could not be restored. Achan couldn't be restored. Judas couldn't be restored. And all these three were trapped by money. And these three stand as, as Symbols. As warnings. Like Lord's wife. She looked back. Because that's what her treasure was. In Sodom. Where all her material wealth she had to leave behind. She stands as a symbol. Balaam who was willing to curse God's people for money. Akan who had overcome all the hurdles from Egypt to the wilderness. Coveted that gold and that Babylonian garment and perished and took his family down. And Judas was willing to betray you for 30 pieces of silver. You are warning us. You will bless us, give us more than we can think or imagine, but the rider is let your love, your trust and your loyalty Always be towards me and me alone. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We don't trust our own hearts, Lord. That's why we want to surrender our hearts afresh to you this morning. Our hearts, we don't trust them. We can say one thing today, but tomorrow, we do not know what will happen. Because in that same portion, we read from James 1, 9, 10, and 11. In verse 12, he says, He who endures temptation will receive the crown of life. If you read in the context, the temptation is what riches brings. The temptations of a rich man is not the same of a poor man. God is a God who is rich, who wants to bless, who wants to give, but... We pray, Father, God of our hearts, God of our hearts, if we know we will stray away from you, don't give us all that. Because we want to serve you all the days of our life. We want to love you with all our heart and have nothing else take that place. Because Laodicea stands there, stark reminder, the first century and above all in these last days where men have heaped up riches which will speak against them on the day of judgment. So the Bible says, command the rich men not to put their trust in uncertain riches. But in the uncertain love of God The certain faithfulness of God who is faithful even when we are unfaithful. So this morning we come to you, Lord, put all our trust in you. Even when you are unfaithful, you are still faithful. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Smyrna was poor. Philadelphia had little strength. They were not wealthy. They had very little strength. And both those churches were commended. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. Oh, yes, Father, yes, we touch, Lord, touch the churches around the world, our yes, own Lord. churches, Lord. Yes, Lord. We touch, don't touch, want touch. to be lukewarm, Father. Let there be a quickening in our hearts, oh, Father. Quickening in our hearts, not our minds, our hearts, oh, Lord. Let our hearts burn, Father, for you, Father burn for you lord let us be fervent in the spirit of father Thank fervent in the spirit Thank lord. Lord. Thank lord as paul told lord timothy father. fan you back, you to you flames, you? back to you flames O oh, lord oh father that is what we cry in these last days, so Father, Lord. let zeal for your house consume Lord. us. O oh Father, we can be no different than you, Father, because Lord, you are confirming us to the image of your Son, and your Son was consumed by zeal for his Father's name and for the house of his Father, O oh Lord. And I pray, Lord, that same zeal, that same spirit, would come upon every one of our churches around the world, O oh Father, that they will pray day and and day out, of oh Father. They Thank will Lord. worship. They will praise. They will serve and work everything unto you, O oh Father. Thank and Lord. the church in the world will see another revival coming, O oh Father. Thank when Christ you. is lifted up. Christ is magnified. Christ is glorified. Oh, be magnified. Be magnified in our midst. Be glorified in our midst, O oh Lord. Touch, Father. Touch, Thank touch, Father. Thank touch. you, Lord. Hallelujah. Touch, Hallelujah. Father. Jesus. Touch, Father. Touch. touch us, touch us, Father. Just a Father, touch,
1: a touch. Just a touch from you, my three God. Three
0: more days left for this yes, month, Lord, Lord. Yes, Lord. You can do. In three days, you would finish the entire work of, Father, yes, Lord. of redemption, Father. And I pray, three days left in this month. We are coming to the end of the tenth month. You are a miracle-working God. Oh, Father, help, Lord. Help us, help, help us, us, help us, Lord, Lord help. Oh, oh, Father, revive, revive the church. Build your oh, church, Lord. church. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank, thank you. you, Lord. Once again, we plead the blood of Jesus, Jesus. the blood of Jesus over all your people, all yes, our families, all of our children, born and unborn. The, you, blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Thank the you. destroyer shall pass over. Thank we you, are safe and secure under the blood of the Lamb. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Lord. And we once again stand in your house and we declare, Thine is the The kingdom, kingdom, the power power and the the glory glory forever and and ever. Amen. Amen.